Kids, Miss Long's over there, and she's ready to take you out to children's worship, so you're dismissed. Just like the 10K yesterday. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 118, which uh, must have been on Jesus' mind uh, on that uh, first Palm Sunday. But before I read that, uh, let me pray. Father, we come to you today um, in uh, preparation for uh, this coming week. And I pray that uh, you would use um, the occurrences of the coming week, the reminder of your sacrifice, uh, and uh, your resurrection uh, to change us, to reorient us, to encourage us, to help us, uh, and uh, to give us hope. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, this this text uh, that we're going to read today, Psalm 118, verses 1 to 2, and then 19 to 29, is a, a psalm of victory that the people of God... Uh, would use and uh, kind of pattern and uh, that they would sing as they gathered together for uh, uh, the religious festival that they were the Passover that they were uh, preparing to celebrate that uh, Jesus was coming in uh, to Jerusalem to do on that Palm Sunday. So in light of that, let me read to you Psalm 118, 1 to 2, and then 19 to 29. That text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So, Brian, go ahead and put my notes up there. So, this event that we see recorded here, this uh, beginning of the Passover, this giant festival where people are gathering and thousands of people are streaming into Jerusalem, is something that we don't experience very much in our culture. Because outside of the Super Bowl or the World Cup, it's harder and harder to find the experiences and events that have universal audiences. People like a niche, right? So it used to be years ago that um, someone could record a piece of music and you could tell how widely it was impacting the culture and how, uh, you know, how many people were into it because you could track album sales, record sales. And 
There are people in this room right now who've heard me say the word album and record, and they don't even know what I'm talking about, right? Last week, Heather did the uh, children's sermon, and she held up those pictures of those cartoon characters, right? I, I didn't know who those cartoon characters were, except one, the worst one. I knew who he was, right? Because when I was a kid, the only time you could watch cartoons was Saturday morning between like 9 and 11. And it was Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny, Wiley Coyote, and the Roadrunner. Uh, occasionally Scooby-Doo. That was it. That was the only time of the week where you could watch cartoons. Now you can do it all the time. And if you wanted Disney, you had to stay up late on Sunday night and watch the hour of the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday night right before Bonanza. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if, you, if you really want to, if you really want to get dated about something, right? So, so, and, and because there were only three channels on TV, chances are everybody was kind of doing the same thing. All that's gone away. Now, I understand tonight that the expectation is that more than a billion people, with a B, are going to watch the uh, uh, final season premiere of Game of Thrones. Now, what's interesting about that is that's one, one billion. That's a lot. A lot of people uh, in here heard me say Game of Thrones. You don't even know what that is. And a lot of you are horrified that you heard it in church. Uh, but what about all the other billions of people? They're not watching it. So there aren't many things that we experience communally that we are all into it. We're all a part of it. And it's something that impacts every one of us. Well, to see the that's the glory and the beauty of what the Passover was. Uh, because the people of God, whether whether they were, were were particularly religious or not, if they identified themselves as a follower of Moses, if they identified themselves as someone who was a part of the Jewish faith, then they knew what the Passover was. They knew what the ritual was. And at some point or time or another, you got yourself to Jerusalem and you celebrated it. Some people did it every year. Families would gather and people would come and they would stream and they would sing the songs and eat the food and and do these things, celebrating the great act that God had done centuries, literally a millennia before, to save his people. And so uh, this is something that everybody did. They all participated in it. And it was something that, that bound the community together. It was something that kids did, that old people did. They all did it together. They ate the same foods. They they uh, sang the same songs. They did all of these things together. And it, it really is quite a, a beautiful and, and uh, a, a wonderful thing. I mean, when, we, when you think and you hear about, you know, these kinds of things, it's, uh, you, and this week, you know, you'll have an opportunity, I'm sure, to, to think a little bit about Easter. Some of our media will do, um, you know, I'm sure Fox and CNN, MSNBC, at some time this week, I'll do some kind of special on Jesus. They're useless, by the way. Uh, don't, you know, you can watch them, but yeah, they're pretty useless, frankly. Uh, uh, and, and they'll make you, you'll watch that and you'll think, oh, it must have been like that. It wasn't. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, 
um, these, these, uh, you know, these festivals, this parade into Jerusalem was quite chaotic and uh, quite uh, crazy and uh, probably more joyful and uh, uh, more uh, kind of ecstatic than even, you know, we, we know about, right, that we're, we're, we're prepared to, to view or, or to think of. But this was a rich part of the history uh, of the people of God. And so as we look at this this morning, as we think about this, Jesus is doing something, coming into Jerusalem, along with, with uh, almost everyone else who could uh, get there is getting there. And they're going to celebrate uh, the great deliverance of God this week, right? So it's a, it's a great and, and, and beautiful thing for us to experience. Now, one of the things that you'll notice in the psalm here, it kind of outlines for us a little bit about what's going on there. First of all, there's a call to worship and a congregational response. Someone would shout out in the midst of the crowd who give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, and then the people would say back, his steadfast love endures forever. There's call and response. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew what you were supposed to do and what you were supposed to say. And so, so there's this, you know, kind of joyful shouting and participation, uh, in, in worship. And it's interesting, right? The psalm begins with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It ends. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This covenant that God made with his people, this faithfulness that he had with them that they could celebrate year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, remembering the goodness of God. Um, some of you know that, uh, well, most of you know that we had our uh, first grandson. Uh, he's uh, a little over five weeks old. And uh, so he's coming up on his first Easter. Right? So, you know, what self-respecting five-week-old shouldn't get for Easter? What should, you know, what should you do for him? Well, I'll tell you what you do for him. You, you go and you get a monogrammed Easter basket. And you fill it with a little alphabet thing with his name, uh, wooden figures that go on a train track. And then you get some Sally Lloyd-Jones books and put them in there that for kids on the gospel because, you know, I mean, he is my grandson. He can already read. And so, uh, and so this, is, this is what you do, right? Now, you know, when I was, years ago, I used to see stuff like this and I used to think, what person in their right mind is going to buy something like that? Well, I know, it's grandparents, <laughs> they're the only people crazy enough to do something like that, right? Um, but as I looked at that and I thought, wow, why are we spending this money? The kid, you know, he doesn't know who we are, or what we are, or what we're doing or whatever. Why are we doing this? Well, one day he will. And he he doesn't know it yet, but the truth is he has a phenomenal generational legacy of faith a family following after Christ. And he needs a witness and a reminder to that where we can gather together and we can bless him and remind him of the goodness of God, the presence of God, and the faithfulness of God throughout generations. 
See, that's what they're doing here as they gather at the Passover and as they worship, right? This worship that they're doing has movement, right? They come up to the gates of the city and they say, open the gates. Uh, And uh, then uh, as they say, opening the gates, they say, who can enter the gates? The righteous shall enter, uh, uh, enter through it, right? So they're claiming in some way that their ability to go forward and to go into the temple and to exercise worship and to, to enter into those things are, um, uh, that there's some sort of standing, some sort of thing that must be true of them, that the righteous are the ones who are uh, able to, to be able to go forward and to enter into this worship and to stand before God and to celebrate with all the people of God uh, that they're doing there, right? And they're calling to mind the great things that God's done for his people, remembering how God had saved them in the Passover, how he had delivered them, and how that one event, that one thing that he had done, shaped their identity and determined who they were and, and how they thought about themselves and how they thought about God. Next slide, please, Brian. So in the midst of this, as they are remembering those things, they pray for God uh, to save them. They say, save us. We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That word there for uh, save us is the word Hosanna. So on the road into Jerusalem, when the people are shouting Hosanna, they're, they're saying, save us, Lord, save us, right? There's a cry out for, for God to continue the work that he begun there at the Passover to deliver his people from those things that would trouble them, those things that would, would stand out against them. And so it's this great big party and people are streaming in and they're glad and they're happy and it's a parade and it's loud and it's raucous and people are moving and talking and enjoying it. And right in the middle of that, we read this. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Right? Now that should jolt you. Because in the middle of this party, in the middle of this joyful uh, celebration, in the middle of this big uh, p- a parade that is moving into the temple, kind of the centerpiece of that and, and the thing that is just as, as excited as recounting the great things that God has done and remember this and remember that. And guess what? Grab that lamb, bring him up here to the altar and cut his throat. Now, I hope that jolted you. And I'm certain that some of you heard that and your eyes rolled back in your head and you thought, oh, no. Is it that kind of church where they talk about that kind of stuff? Right. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's 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 kind of a a a startling thing, isn't it? Right. That in the midst of this celebration, you know, the the way we kind of think about uh, Easter, what's 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 the closest we get to thinking uh, sacrificing an animal? But, you know, chewing the ears off a chocolate bunny, right, or something really ridiculous like that. Well, in the Passover, in the real Passover that they're celebrating there, you bring a lamb and you go in there into the uh, uh, the temple and you kill it. Because it is a reminder to the people that that when God was delivering them from uh, the, the, the bondage to slavery in Egypt, what was necessary was that a lamb would be killed and its blood would be spread over the doorposts of the, of the house so that God would pass over his people. And this was the means whereby he delivered his people from bondage. 
And so we hear this and we see this. This is a a startling and and stunning kind of thing, isn't it? It's not not something that that we're we're really prepared to, to hear and to think about. But you see, the people here, the whole centerpiece of this joy, the whole centerpiece of this celebration, this whole centerpiece of remembering the goodness of God to them is is dependent upon the recognition that there must be sacrifice and there must be blood spilt and there must be something done to change the status of the people so that God is uh, is 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 their God. It's a recognition that there must be some sort of sacrifice made, some sort of atonement made for sin, right? So all of this joy and delight and the worship of God is centered upon the sacrifice of a living being on the horns of an altar. And that this fact that you you do this, that you participate in this, as as difficult as that is for modern sensibilities like ours, the fact is that only fueled the joy, it only fueled the recognition, because it brings home to the people in time and in space that this work of atonement, this work of deliverance that God did for his people was costly. And this reminder here of this sacrifice is something that's profound. So we hear that and we're like, oh, I don't want to think about that. I don't, I don't want to let my mind go there because it's, you know, um, why, why, why talk about sin? Why, why talk about the brokenness and the fallenness in the world? Why, why talk about those sorts of things? Well, because here's the thing. As we read here in this text about uh, the righteous entering into, uh, uh, in, entering into the, the temple, you know, how how are you to think about that? Do you just come because you're cute? Do you just come because God tolerates everyone, that God's, God's for everyone? Well, he's certainly for people. But the fact of the matter is our status as the people of God is determined by where we stand, what our relationship is with this festal sacrifice that's tied up, tied to the altar. Because now for us, that festal sacrifice is not tied to the altar, but nailed to the cross piece of a cross. So, so if, if, if we don't celebrate, if we don't cry out for God to make atonement for our sins, and, if, and God doesn't do that for us, then what's going to be true of us? Well, the fact is there can be no real and lasting joy. Listen, if, 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 if what we celebrate at Easter and what we celebrate this coming week and Passion Week is something about moral example or, or something like that, then, then we simply have no basis for real joy. But if we see our lives as the broken things that they are, if, if you had a sense today that, uh, that maybe you lost your, your temper with somebody or you were impatient or you were anxious or you were, you were, uh, overwhelmed by lust or something terrible was going on in, in your heart, you were gossiping, you were hating, you were judging, those sorts of things. What are you going to do about that? Are you just going to forget about it? But you see, there can be real joy for us today because in the midst of that, of coming to grips with the fact that we are, uh, unless God intervenes on our behalf, slaves to sin, unless God makes atonement for our sin. And that's the great thing about talking about sin. We have a solution to it. And the solution is the festal sacrifice that's been sacrificed for us. That's the pathway to real joy. That's the pathway to, to real victory. That's the pathway to being able to worship. That's the pathway to hope, right? 
Without the, these things, we can't have any real or lasting joy or victory or worship or hope. We, we can't cry out to God with an expect, expectation of being heard. And unless we recognize that Jesus Christ must walk this trail, die this death for us, unless we, we, we come to grips with that, the, the fact is we're left to our own devices. We're thrown back on ourselves to deal with this, right? This, uh, this week, I, uh, one of the, pr- probably one of the hardest things I do, and my job is not super hard, but one of the hardest things that I do is when I have to exercise the dual responsibility of being a pastor and a family member. Um, this week I had to go preach at a funeral, uh, for uh, a family member who, um, had uh well he'd struggled for years with depression and some substances and uh about 10 days ago he died very suddenly and so uh we were uh they asked me to to speak um and this was someone I'd, I'd known since he was about three years old um and so you have to go and prepare yourself to go go, go do this and so what am i going to say what am i going to do right um, it's an honor to do this, but it's also very difficult. And so I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take the first two beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn, because that seems very appropriate text to talk about at a time like this. And the response was, well, we want this to be a celebration. And I'm like, hey, I am all for celebrations. Steve's a party boy. I like a good party. I like a good celebration. But I'm here to tell you, there's no joy. There's no celebration. Unless we go through the darkness of recognizing that Jesus died for this. And that's our real comfort. What's our only comfort in life and in death? It's not great smiles. It's not great memories. It's not putting together a wonderful slideshow for the memorial service so everybody can look at it and laugh and remember those things. As great gifts as those things are, um, listening to Beastie Boys music in the funeral, that was a first because uh, he liked that. Apparently, that was quite comforting to some people, <laughs> to some people who were there. Good, that's fine. But the only real lasting comfort that you get is recognizing that a sacrifice has been made for sin and that you, my friends, have been atoned for. You see, there's no resurrection without the death of Christ for us, right? Next slide. Um, and so the, the thing that we, we come at this is that this is true of us. Now, we want to deny this about ourselves or we want to minimize it or we want to act like it's not that big of a deal. But the fact of the matter is, unless Jesus comes to us and unless he does this work for us and unless there is an atoning sacrifice, unless he is tied to the, the horns of that cross and unless he is sacrificed for us, the fact of the matter is we have no hope. You know, did you see this week where uh, they took a picture of the black hole? Did you see that? Did you see that in the news, the picture of the black hole? 
it's kind of hard to tell what it, what it was, really. I mean, but they said it was a picture of a black hole. So, you know, I believe everything on the Internet. And so... Um, so it must it must be that I was looking at it and I somebody said it kind of looked like the eye of Sauron from the uh, from the uh, Lord of the Rings. I don't know, but I was looking at it and I, what little I know about black holes is is I know that they suck everything in and you can't get out. Not even light can get out of it, right? And so so the fact is that's what we are we're caught in that. And what makes it even worse is not that we're caught in it. And that we're frustrated by the fact that we're caught in this problem of sin. But we're caught in it and we like it. Unless God makes us dissatisfied with it and demonstrates to us that the only pathway out of the black hole that we find ourselves in is the sacrifice of Christ for us. And if that is true, if Jesus Christ has made atonement for me, then I have every reason to hope, every reason for joy, every reason to gather with the people of God, every reason to cry Hosanna, every reason to cry hallelujah, every reason to do that, because these things are true. Jesus did this. This thing that would be my ultimate undoing has been done away with. And so now I can be set free from the tyranny, not only of the devil, but the tyranny of reputation, the tyranny of performance, the tyranny of having to measure up, the tyranny of my addictions, the tyranny of of these things that own me, the, the tyranny of my besetting sin, the tyranny of shame. All of those things have been done away with because when Jesus died, when the festal sacrifice was tied to that cross and he died, the power of those things was broken. And that changes everything about me and changes everything about the way I think about myself, right? So that's the thing that we get to go through this week as we enter into these days of, of, of the Passion Week is a reminder that the, in the great drama that is human history, that is the work of God with us, we have this hinge upon which the history of the world and my personal hinge, history turned, and that is that Jesus Christ lived for me and that he died for me. Uh, Lancelot Andrews, an Episcopal uh, rector from uh, two centuries ago, said this, Pity it is to see a man pay for what he never took. And so Christ, though without sin in himself, yet as a surety, as a sacrifice, may justly suffer for others. You see, that's what we recognize and that's what we come to this week. And that is the glory that drives our worship. That is the glory of saying the steadfast love of the Lord, right? This, this, it, that it endures forever. And the reason why we can know it endures forever because he sealed that to us in the death of Jesus Christ for us, right? Um, so sometimes, uh, there's a, um, there's a hymn. I think we've sung it, uh, in and around Easter, Good Friday before, um, there's here's three stanzas from it, and I, and, you know, bear with me because it may seem kind of quaint, uh, but I, I thought of this this hymn this week. Lo, the good shepherd for the sheep is offered. The slave has sinned and the son has suffered for man's atonement. While he nothing heedeth, as if we paid no attention to this, God interceded. For me, kind Jesus, was thine incarnation, thy mortal sorrow and thy life's oblation, thy death of anguish and thy bitter passion for my salvation. Therefore, kind Jesus, since I cannot pay thee, 
I do adore thee and will ever pray thee. Think on your pity and your love unswerving, not my deserving. They don't think of my deserving, right? So here's the thing. This week, you know, is the uh, if, if you think about things this way, is kind of the holiest week in the church calendar. It is the time where we uh, recognize uh, uh, the, the, the awful, beautiful justice of God, uh, the terrible tragedy, tragedy and travesty of the, the cross and its glory. And then we end beginning next week uh, with uh, the glorious victory of Christ uh, in his resurrection. But this week, this week, this week. You'll be tempted this week to be to forget uh, the great events uh, that we will recognize and we'll celebrate. You'll be tempted by your sin. You'll be tempted by your cynicism. You'll be tempted by your emptiness. You'll be tempted uh, by all sorts of anxiety and difficulty this week to minimize, to minimize, and to minimize your sin, and therefore, by doing so, to minimize the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. And it will rob you of joy, and it will rob you of peace, uh, and it may supply you only with a momentary rush of self-justified, self-righteous, whatever you want. So here's the thing this week. I want you to do something. I almost never ask you to do something practical and direct, but this week I ask you to do one thing, and it's this. I ask you, when you're tempted this way, to remember four words. Christ died for me. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day, When I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. King of glory, you came to us as true peace in the midst of our warfare. As true freedom to release us from our bondage to sin. As true refuge while we languished in a chaos of our own design. Though we know Jesus as sovereign king, we have rebelled just as Israel did long ago. We have negotiated with the enemy by our secret sins and proud skepticism. We have betrayed our heavenly father in our daily refusal of peace, freedom, and refuge. For our treason, you died. For our restoration, you rose again. Draw us close to you in this week that our eyes may catch the vision of your tears 
and our hearts the wonder of your grace. Hear these words of encouragement. Out of my distress, I cried to the Lord. The Lord answered and set me free. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name. And he gave it to his followers. When you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the fact that that uh, festal um, sacrifice was tied uh, to the altar and sacrificed for you. And so as you come today to eat and to drink, you are proclaiming that you needed that sacrifice, that Jesus is that sacrifice, and that is your hope and your joy. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have uh, grown uh, tired of trying to atone for your own sins, you've grown tired of performing and seeking to deserve entrance into the gates of God's kingdom, and as you've grown tired of that, you've embraced uh, the work of Christ for you, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he invites you today to be renewed, to be restored, to come forward, to taste and see his goodness. Uh, As the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is gluten-free.